0: Welcome to The Fracture Line, the official weekly news feed from the Chest Wall Injury Society where we listen to all the bottom line CWIS updates, shout outs, fun facts, and weekly banner. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Crisco, and I'm joined always by Dr. Tom White, Dr. Adam Kay, and Sarah Ann Whitbeck. Welcome back to Fracture Line, everybody. Today we're really excited to have on Dr. Kerry Valdez. I gotta be honest, I remember being an intern listening to Dr. Valdez on East Trauma Podcast. And then I sat next to her at the summit this past year and I was like, oh my God, I'm sitting next to Dr. Valdez. You're like, You're like a big deal. And I was just so <laughs> excited to meet you and uh, thanks so much for what you've done with East and you know, what you're doing for, for CWIS and it's great to have you on the podcast. So Dr. Valdez, usually we start with having the guest host just kind of introduce themselves. Tell us a little bit about your practice and a little bit about what you're doing right now.
1: Sure. Uh, Thank you very much for having me on. It's it's a pleasure uh, to be on this side of the microphone. So I trained in D.C. I did my general surgery training and my critical care training at the George Washington University. I did my trauma and acute care uh, second year of the fellowship at Shock Trauma uh, University of Maryland in Baltimore. Then I went up to do private practice at a level two hospital in Saginaw, Michigan at Covenant Hospital for a couple of years. I transitioned over to Spectrum Health in Grand Rapids, Michigan, which was 11-1 hospital in Western Michigan. And last fall, I moved to Columbus, Ohio, where I'm currently the trauma medical director at The Ohio State University.
2: I appreciate that you threw in the The Ohio State University. You've you've assimilated into the culture rapidly. I, I appreciate that
1: very I much. Know. It's trademarked now. It's trademarked. So I've heard. It's tough. Carrie, what happens if you...
3: <laughs> If you fail to put in that the V and you're talking to someone, is it uh, do you get evil bad looks? do you get corrected?
2: I suspect it's like <laughs> a swear jar. Dr. White, you know you have to like put in your you know,
1: regardless of the topic of conversation, all topics of conversation will stop, will correct, we'll add V and then continue. <laughs> <laughs> what I thought. That's awesome. Well, congratulations so, so on the Rogers. job change.
2: This is a very cool and yeah. big thing for for you know, for anyone, but especially for someone who's you know, at more incipient phase of your career. That's very cool.
0: Yeah, it tell us about cool, that. Yeah. I, I I wanted to talk about that a little bit. What has it been like your trauma medical director the Ohio State? What has that transition been like?
1: So the transition's been great. Uh Carrie Sims is our division uh chair and she reached out to me in the spring of uh 21 and asked me if I was interested in making a move and coming over to become her trauma medical director. Um, uh, I came and interviewed I met the team. I thought the team was amazing. Uh, Tim Pollack is our chair. He's great and uh, Tim and Carrie both uh, did just a great job with mentorship over this past year, where I was the assistant trauma medical director, um, showing me the ropes, giving me some space to learn, um, supporting a lot of education. Uh, the topic course um, put on by STN was phenomenal. Um, and then we walked through a site visit and the American College of Surgeons was just, they have this whole system, right? They teach you how to do it as you're doing it, right? So to be new in this process and to go through this huge um, verification, so smoothly and to be learning it at the same time you know with carrie's support and the rest of the department it couldn't have gone better while also being one of the scariest and most daunting tasks i've done at the same time right they they talk about like building a plane while you're flying at the same time uh it's kind of how it felt some days and then to go through it on the back end and see what the division and the department were able to kind of bring together to be able to present to the college to to re-verify for another three years it did a couple of things. It, it gave me the confidence to be able to step into the role as the trauma medical director uh, this fall. Um, and then to also just remember, Ohio State University is a really good trauma center, and it isn't broken. So that's my first job, right? Don't try to fix something that's not broken. Take something that's really good. Take the advice of the American College of Surgeons, um, some critiques, some areas that we can improve Um, look at the gray book, improve in those regards that everyone's going to do, right? From the orange book to the gray book, what do we need to change and fix? And then start looking at the bigger pie in the sky. What are some broad strokes things and some ideas that um, would align with like the division ideas and then also the whole enterprise, the entire um, university ideas of where we want to go next. So we can do that and we can walk through this kind of together step by step. Um, I've had great support. So It's hard to look back at these past 15 months and realize how much we've done, but then I think about it on a daily basis. I've had a lot of mentorship and a lot of support along the way, so without it, it, I couldn't have done it alone, if that's to say, you know, it's a big teamwork kind of thing.
0: So I know you're walking into this new role, and and I think that you're interested in starting a new R.I.B. program there. What are you thinking about as you're moving forward there?
1: Yeah, that is one of these um, not required, but definitely ideas that we'd like to move forward for this uh, program. So, Going back to the beginning of my career, I started at a level two uh, trauma center. It was private practice. Uh, We did not have a resident component, and I had a huge support from my partners and from the hospital to improve patient care. So I started a a rib fracture program, and it was myself and an orthopedic surgeon who had an interest in improving patient care. We did the training, uh, the industry um, partners. uh, We worked with our hospital system. It was a smaller hospital, and we launched it. So I learned a lot about the actual kind of mechanics of how do you get a a new idea, kind of walked. through through a hospital and then actually start your first case. So getting over the anxiety and the fear of kind of doing the first case, following these patients through. And and a lot of that support came from mentors that I got through the Chest Injury Society, right? So these are um, men and women that I met through the society who were also my program directors. So Jose Diaz, um, Babak Sarani, Tom White. I remember we had a lot of conversations about I am the only kind of surgeon at my hospital who would call themselves a trauma surgeon, right? My partners were surgeons who covered trauma. And I would like to say that I was a trauma surgeon. Surgeon, right, so I went through that experience. Right now, I'm at a level one trauma center, much, much bigger building. Right, there's 15 surgeons. Um, we don't have a established uh, rib fracture program yet. Now, what do we do? Completely different um, playing field but still the same concepts, right? You find your colleagues that are going to work with you. So the first place I go is to my orthopedic surgeons. These are the other surgeons in the building that deal with trauma patients. These are the other surgeons in the building that deal with healthy bones that break. And there's a a very unique aspect to having a healthy bone that breaks and have it heal versus a pathologic bone that breaks and heals. Then we also have our osteopenic bones that break, right? The next step is you talk to your thoracic surgeons. They deal with... Injury in the chest, they deal with empyemas in the chest, they deal with bleeding in the chest, right? So those are my experts in the lungs. And we all come together on the same page and say, how can we make these patients have a healthier outcome? Then we talk with credentialing, right? Because the credentialing boards, for good and for bad, their job is to keep our patients safe. And that's a good thing. I don't want random people doing random surgeries, right? We want them to be safe surgeries and that's their job. And so I want the products that are brought into the hospitals to be safe products. So we work together on this. So whether it's a tiny hospital or big hospital, it's the same concepts as how do we do something for our patients, do it safely to start. Then as we do it, can we make sure that we're doing it safely and how do we do a QI project on this? How do we do a PI project on this and then march it through? And then how do we make sure we keep doing it safely? And then how can we do it better? So you start off with what I I consider like the middle of the road cases, right? You start off with your flail chest. You start off with ribs four through eight. You start off with the ones that are going to be the straightforward cases. As we get better as surgeons and as a system, then you start expanding into the tougher and the tougher and the more difficult cases, right? So that's the kind of broad strokes where we're at, where we've started right now is i have full support of our orthopedic department the chair of orthopedics and i um she and i've had lots of conversations we're starting to branch out and talk to our thoracics department we're working with credentialing um the other important thing is at a big system figure out if the industry partner already has a contract with the hospital if they do don't try to reinvent that wheel. Work with that industry partner. And, and luckily, the rib plating system that I'm familiar with does already have a contract. So that kind of made that part of the project um, straightforward. So those are the kind of taking the, the project that I've already had success with in a smaller scale and moving it to a bigger scale. And then along the way, I go back to my division chair. I go back to the department chair. I go back to the other leaders in the building and say, I'm trying to do this new system, this new thing. How do I do it and do it well without tripping over my own feet? And do you have any guidance? You know, the finances of it, the relationships, the quality throughout the whole building. And just ask for instruction and advice along the way and then take it you know what i'm saying Um, because i've been there for 15 months they've been there for some of them 15 years they've seen a lot of different systems whether it's a rib plating system or a new stroke protocol or something different in the er you know they they have a lot of advice uh, to give and to offer so i'm all ears when it comes to to working with other departments
2: so i just want to highlight that you mentioned your division chair being a female the head of Mm -hmm. orthopedics You referenced that person as being, uh, having the pronoun of she, and you as the trauma medical director being a female. What a dynamic and cool system of female leadership. Like already I'm, I'm dazzled. That's very
1: cool. Yeah, it is. Laura Pfeiffer is our uh, chief of orthopedic surgery. Our surgical ICU medical director is Wendy Wall. And then our uh, burn medical director is Nicole Bernal. Um, very strong female leadership. We have a, a really diverse um, trauma program. And then Carrie Sims is our, our uh, division chair for uh, trauma, critical care, and burn. Um, it's been great. We also have a lot of strong um, male leadership. It, I, I don't know. I, I try not to get too... Frank, I try not to get too amped up on this issue because I've also had just great leadership. I also talked about Bob Sarani and Tom White and Jose Diaz, right? It, at least within my own division right now feels very um, gender blind because I do have so much strong leadership in women. I have strong leadership in men. Um, I also have to recognize that is because of the work that was done by many women who came before me. So that I get to sit in an environment where it feels very gender blind for me. And I have to just kind of appreciate what Effort and, and time and commitment that took, um, and it took leadership from men who came before us in order to have that become like it's a non-issue from my experience. Yeah. Um, so I have a lot of gratitude for the people who came before me to do that. That is
2: very
3: cool, Carrie. That's really you're so such so thoughtful uh, and methodical, wicked smart. You, everybody can tell that. I love it. <laughs> I have one question for you. When you when you Uh-oh. when you utilize this philosophy of sort of creeping into the the rib fixation stepwise. What do you do when you're at step two, but you've got a step five patient? Do you give that patient a step three operation? Do you refer them to an outside facility or do you bite the bullet and, and, and do the step five operation even though you're not quite ready for it?
1: I think I've I've heard anecdotes of a lot of programs almost getting stagnant or castrated in launching because there is a division chair or a department chair who says, I want all patients to get the same Treatment on the same day. So, if a patient comes in on Tuesday, I want them to get the same surgery and treatment as Saturday. And you only have one person here who's willing to do ribs. And so, unless they're willing to be on call 365 days a year, we're not doing it. And there is going to be a little bit of gray area where sometimes it will be, you know what? We're going to do as many patients that fit the criteria as we can this year. And as surgeon number two gets up to speed and surgeon number three gets up to speed, and eventually, we're gonna get there, right? Until so all patients will get the same care depending on what day they come in. And those will be the basic cases and then the harder cases and the harder cases, right? And this bar is not new to rib fractures, right? When, when for example, laparoscopic surgery came out, it wasn't that we are only doing laparoscopic surgery once every single surgeon in the department agrees to transition all lap coles to be lap coli's. We currently still do it. If I have a minimally invasive surgeon who's really swift on the robot and they happen to have time, and they can get in and do a nice sweet little IPOM for a fat incarcerated umbilical hernia that's four centimeters, go for it, man. Do the right definitive surgery. But if it's the middle of the night and I can't get on the robot and I'm not robotic credentialed, I'm going to do it open and primary, get them off the table, and we're going to hope if it does recur, it does not in a manner that we can fix it properly later. I mean, that's what we're already doing at multiple institutions. So I think when it comes to like what's the ultimate best step five type surgery, And holding everyone in the building to that bar, I think that's a little bit of a high bar to put on rib fractured patients only because we don't put that bar on any other emergent surgery patients. Now, we might be able to put that bar on elective surgery patients where we have some time to train, find, and mentor surgeons up to that level five. But these cases are unplanned emergent cases. So this kind of goes down to almost disaster management, right, where we're talking about the best amount of care for the most amount of patients depends upon the resources available. And this, in a broad strokes, is in that vein. It's just a little more subtle if that helps kind of answer the question.
3: That's great. One more question, if I if I may, your your recent experience with uh, the ACS verification process. What's your opinion? Pull out your crystal ball and let us know, or tell us when you think rib fixation will be a requirement for trauma verification. Is that is that two years away, five years away, never? What are your What are your thoughts?
1: That's an interesting question. I have given. No thought to that question. Here's, <laughs> okay, no, yeah. he, no, here's the, here's my thought. So going back to the publication uh, that I that I put together at Ben Johnson that was based on the CWIS Residence Scholarship a few years ago, it, it all started at... Spectrum Health when uh, they identified some of the Michigan TQIP data that there was an outlier of unplanned ICU admissions, right? And uh, at Spectrum Health, they had noticed that the unplanned ICU admissions were pulmonary complications, particularly in geriatric patients. And they dug down deeper. This is right before I started working there. They dug down deeper and found that it was patients who had um, rib fractures, And that's where the triaging started when those patients hit the door of how can they do a better job triaging? And that's when I started working with them and and Ben was a resident at the time and and that's where the data that that led to the publication came from, a triaging system to um, improve unanticipated ICU admissions. Okay. And I think that's where, to get back to your question, we're going to start seeing it with the ACS is it's going to start coming up in similar to that data from years ago, was it was an abnormality in TQIP data. And so it's going to be pulmonary complications, failure to rescue, um, pneumonias, unanticipated ICU admissions. That's where we're going to start seeing these patients maybe kind of highlighting and whether there should be improvement. I'll be honest, in that data that we showed, um, the most important kind of impact was the triage in their pulmonary care, pulmonary toilet, pain management, and then where these patients were dispositioned out of the emergency department. I'm not so sure we have data right now to support that it is definitively whether they did or didn't get rib plating done if you don't also include all that other stuff too and that goes back to the team of respiratory therapists um ptot your icu team like this is not just the trauma surgeons or thoracic surgeons or orthopedic surgeons whether they do or don't do a surgery i think it's going to be a little more of a bundled package of care like the gray book is implying with our geriatric care this is going to be a lot more than just do your don't you do that surgery it's how you do all of your pulmonary care with this chest wall injury
3: Optimizing the surgical and non-surgical management of patients with chest wall injury.
1: We should do like a group. We get a group together, surgeons who to <laughs> chat about
3: that at a should, summit every year. We should draft a mission or something. Uh, yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking Fantastic. of your publication, I actually do have a question about that. Um, you and Dr. Ben Johnson were the first recipients of the kls Martin Fellowship Award. We are actively um, accepting applications right now until November 30th for our listeners. Tell us about that process and, you know, your application process and the whole thing, that year that you spent um, presenting at the summit, et cetera. Just a little enthusiasm and excitement to get people off the schneid if they're considering it, but not really sure if they're if they're a good candidate.
1: Yeah, I think that it was something I would highly recommend, especially any, any surgeon scientist out there. Who has never applied for a grant, it's a good place to start, right? So you get to have a grant application, a nice size grant to start with. It's not stressful. You get to understand how do you put together a budget? How do you follow that budget? You present to essentially the CCWIS board, right? And so how it's going, um, the expectation is that there will be a publication of data Um, You present the following year, we got to give an update of here's how we've used the grant money. Here's where our research is going. The following year, you know, now we're looking at publication. And so for any um, resident out there who's interested in in really developing like a surgeon scientist and and they see themselves long term down the road looking for bigger grants and bigger grants, and eventually they want to become like truly like make grant um, applications and writing part of their um, kind of forte. This is where you start. You start with industry grants. You start with society. grants and kind of work your way up. And so it's a a very kind process within the chest wall injury society. Um, And then, Um, We were the ones who were the the winners uh, of the grant that year, but even winning, we still had um, some critique and feedback on how we could have improved our application. So I think if we had not been uh, awarded the grant, it still would have been useful to get that critique and feedback for next time that we would have applied for a grant.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much. Uh, Hey, Dr. Valdez, thanks for joining us. We're going to move on to our next segment, which is uh, usually Sarah just gives us some weekly updates. Go for it, Sarah. What do you got for us?
2: Everything is due November 30th. So, um, the CWIS-KLS Martin Fellowship applications, November 30th, the Bill Long Award nominations, November 30th, scientific abstracts are due November 30th, posters for case reports and small case series are November 30th, anything that you intend to present or would like to submit for, for the summit is all due November 30th. So that is a hard and fast date and, um... I I hope that on December 1st you don't wake up and think, oh, I'll ask Sarah. Because that would be too late. That would actually be after November 30th. That would be the wrong time.
0: Not happening this not year. Not happening Sarah. this year.
2: When I made the announcement that we were switching the website and the database on December first, I think that I really meant it at that time. That was a firm commitment. It's not going smoothly. I'll just say that, not going smoothly. <laughs> so there's a very good chance it will be December 2nd or the 3rd, you know. It, it, it's going it. to be is what it's going to be. So it could be the first. It, what it's going to be is a surprise. So for now, get excited. The database and the website are going to switch. Maybe the first. Maybe it'll be at an undetermined date. You don't know. So you'll just have to keep listening and watch your emails.
0: Okay. Okay. <laughs> awesome let's move on to the final stitch who would like to go first who's got something on their mind
3: i've got two adam you need a nap so i want you to go get one right now doctor's orders i got my covid yeah. shot yesterday yeah i, I, I don't COVID. buy that I, anyways you're making me sleepy just watching you there goes Do, sorry <laughs> carrie it was a delight to have you on it, it's such a it's such a cool reminder to to for us, that those oh, that are involved in the, in developing the society and pushing membership and juggling numbers, or whatever, it's it's really gratifying, rewarding to remember that each of those members in our society is an, is a person who has a story and has a, a you know has a family and has a job and has all these things. It's one of the best parts about Line for me is the chance to. Remind myself, you know, CWIS is, is a collection of people that deserve to, to be together in a in a clan sort of thing. So thank you for enhancing that. And anytime I hear about any 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 reference to Ohio State, makes me think of that Bob Evans that's just down the street from the stadium where I had the best chicken fried steak of my life a couple of years ago. So you, you need if you're not you haven't been in there yet, you need to get in there. Bob Evans or Bob Bob Evans. whichever it's however you pronounce
1: it i like you being in my tribe too so my um final stitch i was going to share with you a little tradition that my family does we've we've been doing for a long long time it's called rose bud thorn and every night that we have dinner together um we share the we go around the table and we take turns we share the best part of our day is the rose the worst part of our day is the thorn and then what we're looking forward to tomorrow is our bud And this is just a way to kind of tap into what's going on in each other's lives. And it's uh, as the children have aged um, and the more time sometimes when I spend a lot of time away from home and I only get to see them for a few minutes a day, I, I get to just find out like what was really impactful in their day or my husband's day. Like, I don't know what he does while I'm at work all day. And. I'll find out just about their lives. And sometimes each of them will save something that they can't wait to like tell the family. Um, so we do Rosebud Thorn um, almost every night. That's, That's fantastic. Cool. I'm going to try it tonight.
0: That's a great it's idea. fantastic, That's but we idea. couldn't
3: do it here because we'd never get past the thorns. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's a very cool idea. I like it. I love it. I like it. Um, Sarah, you got so one? I, as a matter of fact, I do. So I was publicly shamed for my birthday this year, which was just a couple weeks ago, which we have discussed on this podcast already. Um, so someone else on this podcast is celebrating a birthday next week and I'm not going to publicly shame their age. I'm just going to say someone else is having a birthday. I'm not going to make their age older than they are. Like it happened to me. I'm not going to, you know, make any comments about it. I'm just, I'm going to take the high road on this one and just say happy birthday and, you know, leave it at that. (laughs) And maybe next year, you know. Yeah, maybe next year you can, like, see the example, take take it up a notch. I don't know. I'm just, just saying. And I hope your shingle shot stops hurting. You're welcome. <laughs> you just well, take that. I, again, I got the COVID shot, not the shingle yeah, shot, no. so it's not No, me no, either. it's not you. Um, so you're, you're not old enough to qualify for a shingle shot yet. Not yet. But colonoscopy, yes, because it's at 45 now, just so okay. you guys know. Uh, not 50. So uh, my I'm going to shout out to my daughter, Abigail. Um, she is on the debate team. In school and um she has gone through two um two sessions i guess or whatever they're called she um placed second in the first session and first in the second session and she's actually right now doing a, her third debate session right now and hopefully she'll place sec- it like she's done so far she's really good she good um, definitely knows how to you know speak on her feet and uh she always she, she over talks me already so um.
3: well that's that's that was <laughs> evident in park city last year we knew that <laughs> You aren't her mentor for debate team, so must be your wife. Well,
2: I was gonna say, is, oh, yeah, is she getting to the point now where she just gets whatever she wants because she can out debate you? You know, like, whatever there's, comes there, up. There's, there's a lot like, of that. I just can see. Yeah, she's, can see she's also point. working now. You know, she's doing babysitting and she's like, asking how much she should charge people.
0: It's pretty funny. <laughs> I got a I got a shout out to Tommy Gibbons because this is funny. This is on the, this is on the thread right now. Tommy did a really cool case. We were talking about it, and he's he's posting all these pictures. And then he posted uh, who helped him with the case. And I think we just want to highlight the mustaches, number one. And it was a great case. So if you're rocking a mustache, please post them on Slack. I think that's a good place to post them.
2: Yeah, I I Sarah think it's permanently about it. Sarah yeah. Yeah, hard
0: pass. Yeah, ah, oh, come on, just let him. Just let the guys post their mustaches. This is mo. This you know what? Is you post. She does not control Slack.
2: You post, but that doesn't mean I'm gonna watch <laughs> Slack for the next month. That just means if you All need right. something, don't Slack message me because I'm not gonna check it. Is what that means. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, shout out to Tommy. He's doing some good work out there, all by himself. He is out in the prairie, on the
3: high plains, scratching out a living. You bet. You bet he
0: is. All right, guys. Okay. That's Thanks, that. That's fantastic. Carrie, thank you. Thank you.